Hello everyone, welcome back to the State of the Arc podcast. My name is Mike. My name's Kaysen. Whew, Kaysen has finished Kingdom Hearts 3. The game has been finished by me? It's been... Completed. Well, completed's the yeah. wrong word. If you say completed, people will think you're <laughs> It is not completed. <laughs> I beat? I finished the story? I beat uh, the game. Beat the game. And watched the secret endings. So he uh, he's going to talk to us about his thoughts on that. There will be a non-spoiler section of that. There will there be a non-spoiler first, yeah. A spoiler section. We will warn. We will put time codes in the description. If you're watching this live on Twitch, you're fresh out of luck. You're just going to have to go away for a yeah. long time probably when we start. If you don't yeah, want to sorry. Um, we'll give a, an audible warning, and I will do this. When I do this... You you know if you're scrubbing through the timeline, you know that just just ditch the podcast, man. We're yeah, that's actually spoiler. perfect for Kingdom Hearts. You have to have an X. <laughs> it's Kai, Mike. It's Kai. A Kai symbol for spoilers. Yeah. Anyways, Kason is the res- resident and resonant Kingdom Hearts <laughs> fan. <laughs> nice one. That was good. But he did not necessarily love King Mort's 3. Let's That's the best it. way to put it. The love is not there the way it used to be. So, yeah. Okay, but we're um, going to talk about it, and I will give people an opportunity to convince me if you feel otherwise, because I am a big fan of the series. But 3, um, we just got some things to talk about. Let's just put it that way. Yep. Uh, before we do that, there's a, actually a couple of stories. I forgot to put this one in. Monster Hunter... Movie update. Oh no, from the guy who did the Resident Evil, the director from the Resident Paul Evil movies. Paul W.S. Anderson? Yeah, Paul Anderson. Yep. Um, okay, so first though, first story I want to talk about. Uh, we went over this a little while ago, I don't know how many podcasts ago it was, that there was um, a legal dispute between Andre Sokopsky, the author of the Witcher novels. Yeah. And CD Projekt Red, the developers of the video games. Just to very quickly recap for those who have not heard the story. Uh, when they bought the license from him, he was asked whether or not he wanted like a, a percentage stake in the profits. Um, or, or whether... Just like upfront. An upfront cash, fee. Yeah. And he thought the game would go nowhere, so he asked for the fee up front. That's what was agreed upon contractually. Now that The Witcher 3 specifically is an just an absolute like phenomenal global yeah. success. Yeah. I mean hundreds of millions if not at least a billion dollars in revenue, something like that I would think. Uh maybe not quite that much. I mean those are like Hollywood blockbuster numbers, but still some video games hit that though, like Call of Some, Duty and stuff. Call of Duty hits that. I don't yeah. know if The Witcher Three did. Yeah, but Witcher I would 3 say probably not, but close. I would say hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. yeah, he wants a piece of that. Okay, so there's been an update because he took him to court, and here's what uh, apparently has has happened. The result of the story it says here. Despite its somewhat humble beginnings as a Polish book series, The Witcher is often perceived as one of the greatest RPGs to arrive on the market, and the developers at CD Projekt Red play no small role in that. We know where uh, this writer leans from the first sentence. (laughs) 
One would expect that the creator of the series would be excited by its gain by its gaining reputation. Again, we mm. got a clear bias going on here that most of us share. That being said, in October of 2018, CD Projekt Red revealed that Andrei Sakopsky, the author of the Witcher series, has filed a lawsuit against them, arguing arguing that he now deserves royalties from the company due to the massive success of the gaming franchise. Project Red has been quite open about the disagreement since it was announced and even listed the demand for payment on their site. Though the company stated that their intentions are directed at keeping a mutually beneficial relationship between the two, they were also quick to note that the argument is built on what had been contractually agreed upon beforehand and was therefore disinclined to agree despite his contribution. For Sakovsky, he claimed that the original deal struck between the author and developer was misleading. In an interview with Eurogamer, he stated that he expected nothing to come of it. Then this was, um, I thought, the, the damning part for him, yeah. why, I, I, why I thought he wouldn't win at all, because this statement has been public for a long time. Mm. I was stupid enough to sell them rights to the whole bunch. They offered me a percentage of their profits. I said, no, there will be no profit at all. Give me all my money right now, the whole amount. It was stupid. I was stupid enough to leave everything in their hands because I didn't believe in their success. But who could foresee their success? I couldn't. That doesn't sound like you were confused or that the deal was misleading. It sounds like you completely understood what you were doing. And now you yep. realize you were dumb for not doing it. Yep. This is my problem with this whole story. I know. It's how candid he was about the fact that he knows he made a mistake. So to try and sell this as being misleading is stupid. But Dishonest. Here's, here's the part about the story that, that uh, at least leads to it making sense to me that the result is what it is. Because Sakopsky did get something uh, out of this. Not the amount that he wanted, but... Um, it goes on to say his argument stands that as the original creator of The Witcher, he is now entitled to 6% of all profits gained from the franchise, including the sequel spin-offs that continue to surface over time. His claim is justified by Article 44 of Poland's copyright law as well, which states, in the event of a gross discrepancy between the re re ah, remuneration of the author and the benefits of the acquirer of the author's economic rights or the license, uh, or licensee, I guess, the author may request the court for a due increase of his or her remuneration. However, at the time of the request, CD Projekt Red refused. They argued that they had purchased the IP with a fixed price included, and Sakopsky himself had even refused the original deal of royalties when the developer had offered. But now, as the case continues in 2019, it seems that an agreement has finally been made. CD Projekt Red won't be paying the entire 6% of the royalties, but they will be paying something. Before the legal battle occurred, Sakovsky received 35,520 Polish zloty, which is equivalent to 9,350 US dollars. Or 8, That's what he sold his work for. Yeah, or 8,237 uh, English pounds in return for the intellectual property of The Witcher. Or is that euros? That might be euros. That would be Which, euros. Pounds would be more like five or six thousand. Yeah, it's it's euros. Eight thousand two hundred thirty-seven euros. Yeah, it's not it's not pounds. It's euros. Okay. Uh, in return for the intellectual property of The Witcher. Now, with Project Red only partially agreeing to his terms, he'll be receiving a set amount of undisclosed royalties in the future. 
The exact amount is currently unknown, but it's certainly not the 60, 60 million zloty that Sakovsky had originally demanded. There's no doubt that the Witcher franchise will continue to grow as time continues. Thronebreaker has only recently launched to the public, and with a Netflix show on the way as well, it's, more, it's quite likely that Tchaikovsky will be dealing with CD Projekt Red again in the future, though whether or not they will remain on good terms is a mystery. So there you go. You got something? You good job, dude. All of it? But I mean, that's probably yeah. what the... the, the goal really was it was like we're going to ask for six percent we're not going to get 6%. exactly that's it's a legal strategy yeah and honestly for cd project red if they do want to maintain good um relations with the original author which i don't know why you wouldn't you know especially if you want him to uh consult on projects or the tv show or whatever um you, you'd you'd give him something just as a as a thank you honestly Six percent, way too high. But they'll probably like whatever. We'll give you, we'll give you something. Six percent, like pity, pity money. Six percent isn't like that far off from what you get as like the author of the book that you wrote with with your oh with publisher. the publisher with the big yeah yeah. But the difference is you effing wrote the thing. This is ex post facto <laughs> or whatever. This is this is after the fact. You can't. Is, he didn't work on the Witcher video games at all. No, he so didn't. Like, not at all. And he didn't write them or anything. For... So I, I'm sure if he gets 1%, that he'll be happy and that his lawyer will be happy and that everyone will be happy. <laughs> uh, Anvil of Doom. And this is actually, I, I'm not I'm not totally against this either. Uh, I, I'm kind of with Anvil on this one. He says, Sokovsky seems like an arrogant buffoon, but I actually quite like that aspect of Polish copyright law. It seems like a good protection help for the creatives, creators against companies. Sure, um, sure. I, I, I do... He's a jerk. <laughs> Yeah, I do think that, like, especially if he hadn't, like, let's say, um, I'm not saying this is true in this case, but I'm saying, let's say some author or somebody who doesn't have, like, good legal counsel is approached by a company and they offer them some money and, and they, they, you know, maybe they're not and doing they super think well. It's a they, lot. they think, oh, yeah. that's a lot of money. I'll take that. And they want that up front because they don't want the risk of maybe the game doesn't make any money and then you've you've given your rights when you, you make nothing, yeah. right? Like n- having not the foresight or, or at least the um, the knowledge in like business dealings and contract writing and that sort of thing. Sure, like if, if something like blows up like this, being able to have some protection under the law where you can be compensated uh, to some degree – in those cases, I think is is good, and I think especially with my love of the novels and how amazing they are, and the fact that these mm-hmm. characters and this world that I care a lot about were created by this man, and the fact that I learned about it through the video games because the video games were so big and they cast such a wide net that they found me, where I probably would never have found the novels otherwise. Um, you know, obviously the lion's share. Of of those profits should go to the people who made the game, who put the work in to create the product, right? Who actually right? invested capital, yeah. But uh, I still think that he he made a very stupid mistake. Now that we have a number placed on how much was it was actually sold for, which is less than ten thousand, it's like okay, yeah, like we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars here. Yeah, he probably should be compensated more than ten thousand. He should, and <laughs> e- even if it's just a goodwill. Like from CD Projekt Red, just they just write him a check for a million bucks or whatever. Even if it's just like, hey, yeah, I we know we got the better end of the deal here. Like 
Here yeah. you go. But I just don't like the legal precedent of you can sign anything you want and then come back later and and change your mind. I don't like that. But I do. I like the the I I do see some fairness in yeah. you know what essentially is what's happened. Yeah. In that law. So, anyways, thought we'd update you guys on that story. Yep. Has now come to its conclusion. We'll um, see. I, I hope the numbers come out soon. I'd love to see like what percentage of profits he actually yeah, feels they entitled said, to. It said here it was undisclosed, but yeah, I mean, if it's well, if it's less than six percent, then yeah, yeah, I don't know how much that is, but um, okay, I want to move on real quick to this next thing, and then we'll get into Kingdom Hearts three talk. So. I hadn't, like, heard much about this Monster Hunter movie. I had only seen, originally, this image right here. I'll send this one to you, too, Jason. Yeah, please do. Which basically shows... um, Shoot, where are you? There you are. Which basically shows a bunch of dudes in, like, military gear. Oh, yeah, I think I've already seen it. Let me... And um, it was, like... I was under the assumption that they were going to be fighting the monsters and tanks and stuff like that. That's right. The monsters come to the future. That's what the story's about. It's not set in the past. Yeah. Hold on. Now we have this. I sent it to you here. Okay. So what it says is, Whoa. Is that Mila Jovovich? Is she? Yes. She's like the main character. Oh my gosh. They're married. Paul Anderson and Mila Jovovich are married. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) So it says Sony Pictures has revealed that the Monster Hunter movie directed by Paul W.S. Anderson and starring Mila Jovovich will launch on September 4th, 2020. Uh, Apparently this came from Deadline. In the movie, Mila will play a lieutenant who is transported alongside her troops to the world of Monster Hunter, Hmm. ruled by dangerous, powerful monsters with deadly attacks. She'll then team up with a mysterious man played by Tony Jaa. Who has oh, found Tony Jaa? Are you kidding to me? Fight That's back. I knew you were going to freak out as soon as He's I said that. He's my favorite. Tony <laughs> Jaa. <laughs> so this movie's going to have Tony Jaa in it. That actually does change things. I'm definitely watching it. <laughs> Dude, you guys, okay, tell me if you guys know who Tony Jaa is. Okay, War 624. He is possibly the greatest martial artist since Bruce Lee to do like you know cinema cinema it's incredible he is so unbelievably talented what was that tony tony john movie we watched when i the was protector. at your house we watched the protector with the elephants but yeah, then the we elephants. also watched ong Bak, which is his first one his first big one so we watched both of those and he is just he is unbelievable he, he literally kicks and punches people in the face yeah in thailand they don't have workers rights and unions and stuff like that yeah and so the uh the stunt people uh, you get paid more if you're willing to actually get kicked in the face, and they're kind of a poor country, so people people do that. His stunt team, he actually freaking knees them he, in the skull. He and knocks people it out. It looks very real. real because it is. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, guys. <laughs> so the guy who play or who Tony Jaws playing has found a way to fight back. Currently, apart from the movie original characters, several characters from the games appear, such as the handler, the admiral, and Alec. Palicos? I don't know who these characters are. No. I've played Monster Hunter 3 mostly, but um, Mm. they're confirmed to appear as well. You can read more about the characters and monsters appearing in the movie in our report here. Actually, I didn't even click on that. Let's see. Who else? 
lean oh this is the same one i saw earlier okay anyways that's okay. a little interview i'll put both of these links in the description on youtube so you guys can look at them if you're interested but this image that we're looking at for those of you who are not uh watching you're listening audio only shows tony jaw like basically yeah. in very iconic recognizable monster hunter-esque type of garb he's got like, the, the palicos or the cats by the way <laughs> oh palicos okay so the, the he's got like the big sword on his shoulder uh you know like the armor all looks very monster hunter like you know crafted from leather and different like um animal parts so and and mila jovovich herself is wearing like more medieval-esque looking sort of like armor and has swords and shields and stuff so at least my fear that they were making a monster hunter movie where they were going to be using guns and tanks is pretty and, much assuaged yeah, at, at this point <laughs> at least it's not that i was very disappointing when i first saw that so it looks like the story includes modern like gi's being transported into the world of Monster Hunter somehow, where they're going to fight monsters in the Monster Hunter way. Wow. Uh, so, you know, thought I'd clear that up since we had basically reported that that's not the case, or we speculated yeah. it was not the case in the past. So it's some time travel stuff. I don't know why they feel the need to do that, but whatever. As long as we're in the ancient times of using swords to kill monsters, that, <laughs> that's cool. That's fine. That's all that matters, right? Dude, I am watching this movie. So at first I'm look at I look at Mila Jovovich and I'm like, come on, dude, stop casting your wife in like every movie you make. <laughs> and it's like, congrats to her for being incredibly attractive for like 30 years straight. Like that's crazy. She's in her mid forties. You cannot tell by looking at her. She is she is super good looking, right? Still, but like, I was not happy to see her in this movie. I was hoping I get something new from the Resident Evil stuff <laughs> that we were seeing before. But Tony freaking Jaw, I am watching this movie. I am watching this movie, <laughs> and I'm going to like it. All right. So there we are. Um, let's move into our main topic for today, which is... <laughs> Here's a good segue. Here's a good segue. Okay. We've got a comment here from Colin Peluso that says, Time travel. I don't know why they need to do that. And then hyphen, dream drop distance. <laughs> okay. So we're going into Kingdom Hearts 3 now. So first of all, I want to gauge everyone's reactions real quick. Um, if you've played the game, we're not going to do spoilers right now. We'll let you know, and I will do this, you know, when we're when we're doing spoilers. But um, what did you guys think of Kingdom Hearts 3? I want to know your opinions. I want to know your thoughts because I have I need to talk to someone about this, and I I haven't been able to talk to anyone yet. And this is why I'm going to do, you know, we're going to have a discussion here. Um, my initial thoughts were yes metropolis it looks beautiful absolutely true the game looks stunning incredible amazing wonderful you know mike how we were talking about the editing for cutscenes in kingdom hearts is just really bad yes. and i was like it is <laughs> definitely going to be better in kingdom hearts 3 i was so confident it actually... I, I, I remember watching your first stream on it and i was like they didn't fix this they all. didn't they didn't they have <laughs> the best renders i've ever seen in of like, you know, video games based on movies or whatever. They have freaking like incredible effects. Unreal Engine 5 or whatever they're using right now. Um, Unreal 4. What are they on right now? Unreal? Unreal 4, yeah. Unreal 4. And it's just like, it, it's it's amazing, right? It looks incredible. They have so much talent. They've got cinematography like crazy. It, all the camera work looks good. 
But they sit there and they hold on these awkward, awkward situations. Almost reliably, every single cutscene does that over and over and over again. And that is unbelievable. I cannot believe that they don't have an editor. This is this is Tetsuya Nomura. He has directed feature-length films before that are well edited, in my opinion. They're well edited. Why is he not having any say in these cutscenes and the way they're edited? <laughs> How can you make Advent Children and understand that it's okay to have an L cut? Where you don't have to see, you don't have to see the person talking and finishing their entire line and staring at the camera before the next line, and starts. then give them a beat before the next <laughs> yeah. line starts. Do, do, yeah. Like, how can he have made Advent Children where they did everything right and it was well edited, and then direct these cutscenes? I would okay. Here's, I don't want to. I'm nitpicking right now. That's not my real problem with with Kingdom Hearts Three. This is total I'm speculation. This up right now, total speculation. Uh, they obviously would have had a different editor on the film than they well, did in yes. the video games. Yes. Like a different person sure. doing the cutscene editing and direction. Like yeah. D- Nomura is the director of the game, but they have like a, what, what do they call it? Um, a movie editor or cutscene editor who is <laughs> who like needs part to of be the team. Fired. That person, I don't know if it's been the same guy the whole time. I would guess it, it has. Feels like it has been it feels because it has the same style. And that is one of the the biggest things that I've learned over our years of making uh, videos and and films and doing editing is that when your scene feels slow, the the first thing you should do as an editor is start L-cutting. Take the next person's line, overlap it over the top of the end of the first person's line so that they're sort of cutting into what they're saying. And then uh, do an L cut so that you have the person finishing their line, but the other person's talking over the top of it. And then we cut into their into their shot, their reverse or whatever, mm-hmm. while they're in the middle of saying what they're saying. And and just by doing that, you can make the scene feel like it's faster it's, and it yeah. moves. And in Kingdom Hearts, not only do they not have the next line start kind of while the next one's trailing off, they never have characters like interrupt each other yeah, or anything no like that. Yeah. There is this long beat after a character finishes something. Character A says, but what is the darkness? Beat. Character B, the darkness is mysterious and blah, 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 blah. Beat. Character A again. Like, it's 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 really... With the emotion, because I think the lines were actually read pretty well. The voice acting was was actually pretty good uh, from the, you know, they got real, really talented and famous actors to, to read these lines in a lot of instances, but the editing makes them seem and feel really bad because yeah. all of a sudden, like Ansem says something like the darkness is the true essence. Wait five seconds. Then Sora, but that's not right. And it's <laughs> immediately after, but you waited, what were you doing the five seconds while his line ended and nothing happened? And then all of a sudden you're responding with this energy, this power that was well voiced, but it feels so bad because the editing was poor. It's not, it's not the actor's fault. I'll just say and, that. And we've talked about this before too, right? It is really hard for these actors who do these big sprawling JRPGs because they are never in the same room together when they're acting. And so they, it, depending on if the other line has been recorded or not, will not even have heard how the other actor delivered the line. 
in order to like formulate a response to it they'll just have the director reading the line to them and then they have so sometimes it does feel very disconnected the, yeah, the way that yeah. the two people are responding to each other yeah. because they literally did not hear the how the other person delivered the line in the first place yeah and so they're just guessing like you know they can make formulated guesses like good guesses based on like the direction that they're given and how the scene is building up and they can sort of read the subtext in the script but even still it's never going to feel as natural as the way that it's done with yeah with um where they do motion capture at the same time they like act the scene out with the other actors in the studio excuse me um like they do with naughty dog games uh with uncharted and and um yeah, the last yeah, of us yeah. they have, have those capture and all that yeah yeah they're in the suits so they're capturing their motion and they have the dots on their faces so they capture their facial expressions yeah, and they, they capture the lines yeah. all at the same time and the actors are all playing off of each other and that's why the cutscenes in those games feel so much more natural yeah and so obviously that's not plausible for such long games like jrpgs with like thousands and thousands of lines of dialogue in them yeah uh, over the course of 50 like 60 hour long hour games cinematics, yeah. so that automatically just by the nature of the fact that this and i don't know how long kingdom hearts is but <clears throat> Not as long as I i'm thought. just i'm just giving a general idea here that's you can't have the same expectation of, let's say even mass effect right of mass effects delivery and uh natural sort of like back and forth dialogue as you would for a game that's made like Naughty Dog makes them. So that definitely plays a part in it. But even still, a good director, a good voice director, and a good editor can make this way, way, way more natural through their craft, even if the actors don't give the best response. But they record their lines more than once. You know that that's true. Yeah, definitely. There are methods of combining a take. Like if you have three takes of one line and you like this portion of this one and this portion of this one and this portion of this one, there there are tools out there that help you combine three different takes into one. This is what they did on Toy Story. Uh, Pixar does this all the time where they like this part of Tom Hanks' line, but they like the end of this take and they want to combine the two together. And they have made tools that allow them to combine lines so you get exactly the right Uh, emotion so all of these tools are available to them and you still have directors who can tell the person hey that's a little too strong there on the end can we pull back a little bit or that's not enough we need more there on the end can you do the take again and make sure we you know and the editor can make the can completely control the flow of the scene that's basically their job since they're combining two completely separately (laughs) two completely separated separate uh recorded performances and trying to combine them make them feel like they were there at the same time and you can do that i've i've done that before (laughs) that we i don't know i maybe because i don't know anyways let's keep going (laughs) so we're okay anyways First, we're going to have Kaysen talk I, about... I'm... Okay, sure, got you. Go ahead. Kaysen's going to give his non-spoiler thoughts on the game. Uh, we, again, will warn you when we're about to get into spoilers, and yeah. we will provide time codes. 
Um, I am I am now able to put time codes into the audio only descriptions as well. Oh, so good. even if you're audio only, you'll be able to look at the description and it should tell you like what when what times you need to skip at. So all of that will be in the description and we'll do warnings so we that you know it's coming. You guys. So Kason, go for it. Non-spoilers. First of all, I want to read some of the comments because I, I asked everybody what their thoughts were and I just want to make sure I go into this and I, I will give my thoughts immediately after. Uh, first of all, Anvil of Doom is bringing up <laughs> Mila Jovovich. It, were she to have been super attractive for 30 years, that would be going a little a little too young. Um, I'm just saying <laughs> she has been attractive for a very long time and that's hard for women to do. Okay, so. Um, yeah, so War624 saying, from what I hear, uh, King Wars 3 uh, does the time travel thing too. It looks beautiful. Uh, Colin saying, I was pissed. I had my expectations way too high, but genuinely felt, genuinely felt zero emotion from the ending. I can, you know, agree with that a little bit. Uh, some people haven't played it yet. I stopped after the Pirates World wasn't interested, and I love the Kingdom Hearts series. That's Partizra. Um, I gotcha. Um, Arcus says he loved it. Perfect. Um, has looks, but no consistency. Uh, it's good, but could be much better. English was rushed, and the game was easy, even on proud mode. That That is absolutely correct. Um, it's solid. Hates some of the story elements, which is a given with Kingdom Hearts games, but it's fun to play, and the focus has at least narrowed storytelling. Okay, it might have the worst story in the series, says Colin, and I I, I probably, I think I agree with that completely. Um, combat's enjoyable, but the animations are excessive. Blah, blah, blah. Even Coded is better. I will never agree with that. Coded is the worst for sure. Um, I thought Kingdom Hearts 3 was fun, but it has a lot of issues. That's right. And that's more or less where I where I fall on this. Um, somebody's saying it was pretty bad, but they weren't too disappointed. Um, we've got... It's better. Okay. Okay. So I got this now. Dunkey posted a video yesterday going up with every story. That's funny. I should watch Dunkey's video. He's hilarious. He does a really good job of explaining in very simple yet like profound terms. Mm. Like what would usually take me like probably 20 or 30 minutes to say. (laughs) (laughs) But I agree with every single thought he's ever shared on Kingdom Hearts. I'm right alongside Dunkey in terms of his view on the storytelling and everything. Yeah. Um, it was weird how Drake Bell was young Xehanort. That was Drake. I didn't know that. And Tara was the rain guy from Blade Runner. Oh, and the tears in the rain guy from Blade Runner was the old Xehanort. Okay, I got you. I got you. Okay, cool. So a lot of people are concerned about Final Fantasy VII Remake after this, and I kind of get this a little bit. Okay, these were things Kaysen had a problem with. How dare you? Kingdom Hearts Amazing Story is godlike, just Rick and Musty. <laughs> Sorry, uh, Iredul. Um, maybe you can clarify a little bit. <laughs> okay, cool. So I'm getting all this now. I'm getting all this. Okay. So for the most part, people are agreeing with me that the game was fun, but wow, there are some issues. And it's not just, ooh, I wonder where the story's going next. It's like, whoa, that was kind of that was kind of dumb, kind of thing, right? All right, guys. Let me go. Yeah, somebody's saying I beat it in 26 hours. Mike, do you do you did you ever hear how long Kingdom Hearts 3 was gonna be before? I remember uh, somebody I had said remember. like I heard like 50 or 60 hours. I don't remember that. Somebody I have no idea the game came out. And I was expecting a much longer game. Dude, that game was not very good. That game was not very good. Okay. Um, or not very good. It was not very long. It was incredibly short. 
Okay, so right. Freudian Freudian slip, dude. It's not very good. Sorry, sorry. No, no, <laughs> I, that's what I truly meant. Anyways, um, okay, okay, okay. So I got by what when I asked people what their thoughts were for the most part. Um, but I can't. Sorry, I couldn't read all the. We had a lot of comments after I asked that question. Okay, Kingdom Hearts three was extremely fun. <laughs> the battle system was awesome, and the world of Toy Story was freaking incredible it was so fun the pixar stuff was on point it was a blast to play through and it was just wonderful right if kingdom hearts was just you're this kid you're sora you're going out around all of the different worlds and you're um just doing the disney stuff it would have been fine right it would have been a fine it wouldn't have been wonderful like kingdom hearts one was but you know it would have been fine and Toy Story specifically, we should have gone back there. Anyways, ugh. my personal opinion was that some of the worlds were incredibly fun. Um, the game as a whole, I have a problem with. It is one of, it is possibly, other than Coded, it's probably my least favorite Kingdom Hearts game that I've ever played. And I have so many issues with it. I don't even really know exactly where to start. Um, there is no Final Fantasy, which is just unbelievably disappointing. I just can't. The further Kingdom Hearts gets from Final Fantasy, like the less good the games become. <laughs> There's a reason for that. Remember back when I was like, hey guys, does Kingdom Hearts need Final Fantasy? You no. You made a whole video on that. Yeah, well, guess what? Kind of it should have had more Final Fantasy. It would have been better. <laughs> I, I need to, maybe we'll delete that video. I'll make a new one. Does Kingdom Hearts need Final Fantasy? Yeah, probably, because it's just a little, I don't know. But, well, okay. I, I'm trying not to get into spoiler stuff here. Um, the, uh, the special moves when you're doing your uh, your like Disneyland ride finishes and stuff had no story relevance whatsoever, but they were fun and I I did like them. It was cool to ride the train around and be shooting at people through the choo choo part of the train, just launching rockets and like doing the river rafting with your tube, just like going all around. It was fun, like whatever. The game is super super fun, but I kind of just want to go into spoilers now, so. Well, could you... Overall, it's one of my least favorite Kingdom Hearts games. Like, it is could one you, opinion, the with, worst. Without, like, pointing to a specific scene or, like, any event that happens or naming characters or whatnot, could you give, like, a criticism of, like, a, a technique used or, or where it went with... <laughs> like it's message or something like that that yeah. you disagreed with in particular. There's some elements of some um, typical like social justice kind of stuff going on there that's just kind of obnoxious in video games now, but it's not a game breaker for me. It's just like, okay, fine, whatever, just get past that. Um, the, it, it seems, the game, seem, it felt rushed. Like the, the look of it did not feel rushed. The look of the games was unbelievable, especially when you get to like the Tangled World, the King, or not the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, right? Just a complete uh, Assassin's Creed 4 like ripoff, basically, <laughs> but with the way the sea battles worked and things. But um, the way it looked, you can tell, wow, this took them a long time. The way it felt, the way it was paced, the way um, the story unfolded, it was like, whoa, they didn't have enough time to do everything they wanted to do. The game as a whole feels, it does not look rushed. It feels rushed, incredibly so, as a matter of fact. For a game that took 10 years to make, or seven, or however long when they actually really sat down and started making it, this game was ridiculously rushed. 
All right. So that's that's probably the biggest one. Uh, and could you could you people are saying you, more SJW stuff? There's, yeah, I was I was about to say, could you elaborate on that without spoiling? Now, one of them I'll have to go into. It is absolutely a spoiler, so we're not going to go into that. It has to do with um, something with the general way that things happen. Uh, but the other one is that there is there's this funny kind of like um, like feminist. Uh, tone to the whole game which is fine it's not like I, I have a problem with that it's just weird it's just not very consistent with the the games before it but every world we visit whether it be tangled or uh frozen or big hero six or um gosh i'm trying to think of what other worlds there even were pirates of the caribbean it, they always had to make these weird comments that are like goofy or donald would always have to like be like wow that girl's way stronger than the guy and it's just just kind of stuff that's just like like okay fine whatever but it's not the way that the movies were but it's the game is like trying to put on this kind of this a little bit different of a kind of a feel than maybe the other games did which if that ends up being the case whatever like in tangled the girl uses her hair and and the guy doesn't basically do anything and it's like, okay sweet that's what's happening um that's not entirely how the movies went but you know whatever they're just trying to put stuff in it i guess for young kids to be more excited about it and so that's fine that's fine but it did just kind of feel a little bit different based on that from other games. The big problem I have is with the spoilery aspect of the whole thing, which we're going to get into later. Okay. And by later, we mean right now. So click away. (laughs) (laughs) Be careful. Beware. If you don't want any spoilers for kingdom Hearts three, because we're about to get into the spoiler territory. You saw this right again. You know Again, the the um, timestamps will be in the description to skip past this to the community stories section at the end. So uh, as of right now, five, four, three, two, one. Spoilers are about yeah. to flow. Real Here quick, though, King Me Jonah says um, he doesn't feel like it was rushed. The Disney worlds weren't rushed. It's just the the um, the Kingdom Hearts stuff, the Nomura stuff. Like that was all rushed. And like I'd agree with that. Fine. Like the the Disney worlds themselves. They, necess- they didn't necessarily feel rushed. And the look of the game is, is phenomenal. It is with the greater, with the way everything ties together that it felt rushed. And it's also with the fact that you don't go back to these worlds like ever again, right? It's like you, you know, in, the, in Kingdom Hearts 1 and 2, you go to a world, you do part of the story, then you go somewhere else and you come back and you kind of finish a little bit more. And then, and then you come back and then this story really like wraps up, right? You don't usually beat that whole Disney World all in kind of all in just one go. Um, I was hoping that we'd be coming back to some of the shorter worlds, specifically Toy Story, because it was so freaking fun. Especially controlling like the mech things with like the shooter guns and stuff. That was unbelievably fun. I had an absolute blast, and just being in Toy Story and like running around and uh, like running around Andy's room. And like outside of his house and all the stuff from the game or from the movies, you know, super, super cool. So I agree that that's not rushed. The part that was rushed was literally everything outside of the Disney worlds, which was kind of a lot. So oh, in Kingdom Hearts 1, you don't really revisit worlds. Okay, maybe I'm referring more of to Kingdom Hearts 2, I suppose. Okay, so when we're talking about spoilery stuff, which we're going to get into now, we have to talk about the ending because... Ugh, like it was gross. It just left a weird, weird, weird taste in my mouth. Like Xehanort, Xehanort was really, 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 really evil, right? 
like you had Kingdom Hearts one, you had Ansem, and it was like, oh, he's wrong about light and dark, and he gets killed or whatever. Still, no one dies. I cannot believe that still nobody actually dies in Kingdom Hearts. It's really weird. Even the people, anyways, uh, it just kind of, it's just weird. But that's a Disney thing, probably. So hold on, before you before you go on, I was just curious what happens when a world. Like uh, Twilight, like uh, what's the first world? Uh, the islands, Destiny Islands gets yeah. overrun by the darkness, right? So do yeah. people not die when that happens? I think that like Beast also says something like, um, like my world was overcome by darkness. Do the people not die, or do they all just turn into heartless, or what? I don't know. I guess I guess their hearts go somewhere, but they can just come back, just find the Dragon Balls or whatever. I don't know how they do it, but they're just like <laughs> they just come back. It's it's like no big deal. Like there are people. There, there's these scenes at the end of Kingdom Hearts 3 where you go through and you're just like annihilating these Organization 3 or Organization 13 people, just tearing them apart left and right, boom, boom, boom. And then you see them like fade a, fade away, right? Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the game and like the post-credit sequences and stuff, they're all back. <laughs> it's like, where, what happened? Where did you go if you didn't die? Like what? Why are you here? Especially um Sykes, Sykes or the blue-haired dude who Yeah, yeah, the second in command Axel. to Xemnas. Yeah, he was friends with Axel, right? And um and then they became not friends, right? And then you basically mess him up and then later on he shows up with ice cream anyways. It's just like Ugh. I so no one dies. And that's you just have to come to understand that. Like basically nobody's going to die here and that's just kind of how it goes. But in terms of the question you're asking, I don't know how to answer that because Kingdom Hearts kind of avoids showing other people mm. in general, other than your main characters. So you go through a whole right. city and there's no one in it, you know? Kingdom Hearts yeah. 3 changed that a little bit. So in Twilight Town, there are some people, you hear conversations and there's some other people around now, finally. And that's pretty interesting, you know? And the restaurant is like crowded with people. The restaurant was super fun. Restaurant might've been, other than Toy Story, might've been the highlight of the whole game. Mm. So, anyways, yeah, Sykes or Isa? Is Sykes, uh, can somebody tell me, is he back? Like, is he around? Is he alive? Okay, so Xehanort. Let's talk about Xehanort for a little bit. Because Xehanort was bad, right? He was really bad. He was rotten to the core. He was, like, just an, an engineer of, of death and destruction. Except no one dies. So maybe it's not, maybe he wasn't that bad. He didn't actually kill anyone because no one dies. Maybe that's why. Maybe he knew that the whole time. He's like, oh, he's like cracking hearts. And he's like, but they're not really dead. So maybe he's not as evil as Hitler, right? But you basically got this really evil Hitler kind of feel from him, right? He's basically Voldemort. And at the very end, Ericus just like walks up to him, puts his hand on his shoulder and is just like, well, wait, we talked about this before the podcast and Peluso is bringing it up now about yeah. killing Ericus, right? Okay, I guess he's dead, but he's there. He's in the game. <laughs> <laughs> up to... I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. This this will take me maybe a month or two to get over. People who really liked Kingdom Hearts, send me all of your encouragement and tweet at me and and keep my morale up for, for the next little while. My my initial reaction is pretty negative, which is why we're doing this in a podcast and not in a video on YouTube. Mike and I kind of talked about it, and I was like, um, I want to make a video about Kingdom Hearts three, and um, Mike was saying, Hey, talk to everybody, gauge how everybody feels, and you know, maybe take some time before making that video because right now my video would not be um, very kind. 
and I need to see other people's perspectives of people who did like Kingdom Hearts 3 um, and, and why they liked it and why they maybe appreciated the ending. Uh, but dudes, Ericus is there. He's back, okay? Whether he's, he's there. Like, okay, maybe he did die, but dead people can come back to the world and be there and talk to people still. So is that really death? I like, I maybe, maybe not. I don't think so. As far as I could tell, he was alive that whole time. And here he is. And now Xehanort, is Xehanort still alive? I think those guys really are. Like, I think they, I think they can come back. I really do. And there's time travel. Well, too. They're going to come back. When, when you die and your heart is strong, you just get split into like a heartless and a nobody anyways. Right? Yeah, but that didn't happen to these guys. Ericus isn't a heartless or a nobody, but he's there. So what is he? So he, he legit died. And then he just is a force ghost now. And now he's a force ghost, I guess, but he's <sighs> sure. Sure. This is a star Wars thing. Some, some people are bringing up forced ghost. I see that. Sure. So it's same as in star Wars. Like, so does that mean that that Xehanort and Ericus are both dead and they go to the afterlife together? That is the, the feeling you're supposed to get. But are they really dead? I don't know. I don't know how this stuff works in Kingdom Hearts. But the the you're supposed to get the image that, yes, they died. You're also supposed to have gotten the image that these Organization 13 people died also as we went around killing them with the sword. Like Ansem was like, oh, man, we finally killed him. And he like has all these regrets about the way he lived his life, right? And then he fades but, away. But what isn't killing the organization members killing their nobodies? Which, if you kill the heartless yeah. and the nobody, they come back, <laughs> right? They come back as their original self. So that's why, like Axel comes yeah. back as what's his name? That's uh, Lee. His, Lee, right? Yeah, yeah. So they come back. So none of those guys are actually dead. So they're going to they come just, right back. So they they didn't die. Or, okay, then this is the point that. But, but when Ericus or Xehanort died. Were they not killed? How did they die? Were they killed by a keyblade or how did they die? You mean like originally? So if you're killed by a keyblade, then you'll come back. Okay, this is a problem actually. I don't know if this is a conversation we should be having because every now and then um somebody needs to help me. <laughs> because <laughs> I'm getting a little um confused right now. And sometimes people get really upset when I start talking about Kingdom Hearts as if I know what it is when I, I kind of am still a little confused here. So I actually do not know exactly how to address what Mike just brought up. So can somebody, uh, Rob says, depends on the order, the heartless and nobody are destroyed in according to low runner. So if you destroy the heartless first and then the nobody, then they come back to life. But if you destroy the nobody first and then the heartless, they don't come back. Is that what you're saying, Rob? Colin says the Sykes thing felt like a plot hole. The game was implying that Sykes came back and became a nobody again for no reason. Or his nobody time traveled into a... Okay, the whole time travel thing is just freaking nonsense. It's already crazy because... Completely of the nonsense. Time travel hey. blows it into like exponential craziness. Uh, Rob says yes, according to Lore Runner. So you can only come back after you've been split. If your heartless is killed first, and then the nobody is killed. If it's in that order, the the original person is recreated. So somebody you, kills Sykes heartless. So but if you kill the nobody first, which is what I would assume happened to a lot of the organization members when you fought them in yeah. the games. Yeah. And their heartless had not been killed first. That means they should have died altogether. 
Oh no! Hey, Cap Doc. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Spoilers. Cap Doc. The spoilers, man. Spoilers. If anybody is new, we are discussing the spoilery aspects of Kingdom Hearts three. Okay. I I guess I understand that to some extent. There's weird rules about death. Um, but it's my, all arbitrary. I mean, like they just freaking make it up as my, they go. I know, but my rule is because my rule is they aren't dead unless when are when are they dead when are they truly dead right when are they truly dead because it has changed from game to game you have to put probably. a cap in their face but you have to not kill them with a keyblade <laughs> <laughs> right you gotta shoot them with a gun. just get a shotgun and blast them right in the face dude that's it <sighs> which is like I'm, I'm assuming that was how erica died but it's really funny that xehanort's there erica's dies can you guys here we go this don't say anything mike I want to ask people um, a question because Mike and I both had different interpretations of this event. In Birth by Sleep, how did Ericus die? What killed Master Ericus? I'm actually going to look this up right now, too. Please answer me this question. Hour of waking for the win. <laughs> Ericus got stabbed in the back. Okay. Keep going. Bad writing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with Rob. I agree with Rob. <laughs> oh, Rob, you are the smartest person. Oh, I, I actually, I posted that scene um, oh. and my reaction to it on Twitter and Facebook, actually, as I was watching that scene. Yeah. Okay, so didn't Zay okay, Xehanort struck him down and his heart went into Terrace. That's what I thought. Um, Xehanort, everyone's saying Xehanort. Mike actually had an interpretation that it was the darkness that either Terra killed Ericus or just the darkness in him just destroyed his heart and he and he fell forward. So right? here's here's uh why I probably didn't get it right. Well, and I don't know because right. that's my that's why I'm bringing this up. Because I was laughing the whole freaking scene <laughs> and not really paying attention to it. As Duke McGuire writes there, that's what I was saying the whole time. It was, it was like, because he says, Erica says something like, my own heart is darkness. And then there's like a big like burst and his hand like tautens and his, you see like something kind of, it, it makes it seem like his heart like exploded in his chest. And then he just sort of falls over. Um, and I was just saying, no, Sakaguchi, don't succumb to the dark darkness, Gooch. Oh, he kind of looks like the right, guy, doesn't he? Well, he he's designed after Sakaguchi, oh, right? I like the, that he was yeah, on purpose. He's supposed to look like him. Oh, that's funny. So I was like, don't succumb to the darkness, Gooch. <laughs> so I was just you know being stupid while I was watching it. I know that Xehanort then appears and talks to Terra after that, but I literally have no idea what was said because I was just laughing at how dumb the scene was. Okay. Like the scene's just bad. Like the editing's bad. The delivery's bad. The writing's bad. Everything's so bad that I can't pay attention. That's what makes it worse? I am pretty sure Sakaguchi. Sorry for anybody who doesn't know, is the original creator of the Final Fantasy series from the yeah. 1980s, right? Okay, so um, Xehanort. If I am correct, that Xehanort killed Ericus. <laughs> Just stabbed him in the back or shot him or did whatever he did. First off, he has a keyblade, so whatever, however that happened. Um, when Ericus finally sees Xehanort, he's he's 
He's not mad. He's not like you, bro. You you killed me. <laughs> Instead, and and Ericus isn't like, oh, I killed you, my bad, or nothing. It was just like, oh, my friend. Hey, Ericus, you're my friend. Like, oh, remember when we were friends? And it's like, yeah, you you literally killed me. Like you you killed me. Do you know what's even dumber about that though? Yeah, they're Is that they friends again. No, they show a scene in Birth by Sleep, like a flashback, where they fetching fought each other in the little, like, uh, place where they go to, like, uh, do their test. Where, yeah. Where, like, Ericus and Xehanort sit and they, like, watch him and, like, observe. Yeah. So they show a flashback where Ericus and Xehanort, like, come to a head on their disagreement about, like, light and darkness. And they literally, like, fight each other there. And then they never explain... Outside of, like, I don't know, maybe there's, like, a journal entry that says, like, oh, he said sorry at some point. They never explain how they they came back and were friends again and were, like, judging Terra and uh, Aqua in, in like, the, the test or whatever as, like, uh, comrades or what do you call it, uh, peers or whatever. They're, like, both there, like, working together to, like, judge their, judge whether they can become a master Keyblade wielder or whatever. But literally... In the past, they had already, like, come to blows and physically fought to the death over this light and darkness miscommunication issue they have. Yeah. And they never explained how they, like, reconciled that. And so Ericus is like, yeah, we're, we're buds again, and we'll, like, continue working together. And then apparently he kills, like, I, it's just fetching. Horrible. Well, the story's on. bad, people. I'm sorry. It's bad. We've gotten a couple, um... Zay oh yeah, let's remember Xehanort literally killed Kyrie and tried to kill Sora and all of his friends literally three seconds before his redemption. <laughs> but then King Mijona brings up an interesting point, saying it's very similar to Star Wars, Ben Kenobi chilling with Anakin's force ghost at the end like nothing happened. I get that, I get that a little bit. Um the the difference between Kingdom Hearts and Star Wars, and they are very similar, by the way. Probably yeah, it's clear that 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 uh, uh, Nomura loves Star Wars. Very clear, and especially Birth by Sleep is so similar to Star Wars, yeah. it's unbelievable. Um, and now that Disney owns Star Wars, that's just hilarious. That opens a whole new like realm of potential possibilities. But um, Star Wars is a well-told story. No matter how much you hate the prequels, um, it is a story that does generate some amount of sympathy for Anakin early on. Um, and even if you ignore the prequels, um, the way that Luke treats his father, um, dang, now we're going into spoilers of star Wars. Sorry guys. If you haven't seen star Wars, if you haven't seen star Wars, just fetch you, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Um, the, the writing of empire strikes back and the, um, move forward and also Ben Kenobi and the way that did Darth Vader actually kill Ben Kenobi? I don't know. Cause it's like the way it all happens is kind of weird. Um, but um, the way that it, things happen at the end of Return of the Jedi, when Luke, his whole purpose, the entire time, from the moment that he's like, um, you know, I don't know, for the basically the whole movie, he does not want to fight and kill his dad. Like, that's his whole, like, thing. He doesn't want to do it. His goal is to turn his father and to help his father realize, um, like, n- that he shouldn't be doing what he's doing or whatever it is. 
Um, in Birth by Sleep, it's like this guy's pure evil. He's Hitler, and we are going to kill him. We are literally trying to kill him, and he is trying to kill us, and we are trying to kill him. We are trying to kill Xehanort. And up until the second that um, Ericus comes out, and then there's redemption, and we're all happy and smiling, even though he literally just killed Kairi. Very good point, um, Karasu 8. And we're just like, oh, isn't this so cute? Friends together again. Oh, it's so cute. Here's the difference for me. The storytelling. That's the big difference. This one the is difference, Star Wars. The difference, the difference for me is that, I mean, in Star Wars, we're, what we're arguing here is, is overthrowing the Empire, is killing the Emperor and restoring, like, um, restoring the Republic to the galaxy, which is effectively what Vader does at the end of Return of the Jedi, is that enough of a penance or recompense to make up for the fact that he murdered children and hundreds of Jedi. It's Obviously, that's a hard question to answer. Not, I would lean to it's, it's not enough, personally. No, it's not. If but, you're looking grand scheme of things in terms of like, you know, maybe some type of like eternal judgment by God, yeah, not enough. But if you're looking at him and his son's relationship, yeah, their relationship, yeah. then it's like he did enough. He he saved his son. His son saved his life, and he saved his son's life. In the end, they both saved each other, yeah. and that's they should have just left the whole "they're chilling as forest ghosts" thing out of it. They should have. Yes, they should. <laughs> so that you don't see like, oh, Vader was redeemed, and he's good. He's good now. Like yeah. that, I don't. I didn't like the 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 Star Wars story is essentially a, a redemption arc for Darth Vader. You kind of need the prequels to get the full arc, I suppose. Um, which were not originally told back when Return of the back when I watched Return of the Jedi, which makes sense. Um, which, but I still didn't care. Um, uh, but the redemption arc, it, it's it's a whole journey that you see Anakin taking from a kid all the way up until he dies, and. With Xehanort, I'm sorry, you don't get that. You get one well, yeah. game with his friend and this weird light versus dark thing where Eric and, and totally cheats. He totally cheats. He put his his pawn back and then all the, he gets all these extra pieces. That's just not fair. Anyway. Well, and my point my point was is that while that not might not be like an, a, a real strong justification for the redemption, at least it's an attempt at it. Like what Vader does has an enormous effect on billions and billions of lives across the galaxy in ending the tyranny of the emperor and yeah. throwing down the empire. Yeah. That is a gigantic thing that he did that is benefiting billions and billions of people. It, in my opinion, it doesn't make up for what he did, but it still is an attempt to show the character has turned a corner here. Whereas it sounds to me like this scene in Kingdom Hearts 3 is just a complete 180 without any like attempt being made to see what, oh, like during that fight, right? Vader and, and Luke are fighting. He's talking to him. You don't ever see Vader's expressions. Yes. You never see his expressions because he's wearing a mask, but they linger on his face. And you know, know that he's considering this. Yeah. And he's looking back and forth as his son's being shocked to death. And he's looking back to the emperor. He's considering the consequences. There's internal conflict mm -hmm. that is leading the character to make a decision. Yeah. Xehanort has you, no conflict. He has no internal conflict. If you just on a dime be like, 
No! No consequences for what you've done. I'm still your bud. Let's go up to Forest Ghost Heaven and chill. That is, uh, I'm sorry, that's that's horrible storytelling. It's really bad. It's, um, and it's not justified at all. Yeah. They're not even attempt made to justify it. And, in like, and it's not that Xehanort, um, with Vader, Vader, he had to make his own choice, right? His hand wasn't forced necessarily. He made his own choice to do that. Xehanort did not make the choice to abandon his evil ambitions. He literally lost. <laughs> we we defeated him. We beat him in a battle and we dis- we foiled his plan right in front of him. And then he decides that he's going to be a good guy now and that you know this whole thing he shouldn't have done it. It's not it's completely different from Vader. Vader could have allowed his kid to be killed and kept going on, but he made a choice. Xehanort didn't make a choice. We forced his hand. And then, just like Eric Cartman from South Park, he's like, oh, my gosh, I just realized, oh, everybody, we should be friends and not try to kill each other, you know? It's like, great. Good job, Xehanort. Like, go to heaven now, I guess. Have fun. So I want to point something out that CJ is saying. He says, I don't necessarily think Xanort was redeemed. He conceded and was dead anyway. Like what else would happen? I never saw Xanort. I never saw Xanort as being evil. Misguided guy that was willing to do anything to see his goals happen. Well, isn't that kind of what smirked and laughed and okay. Well, Well, okay. This is actually something I brought up in, I think again, my analysis or my reaction to birth by sleep, right? There's a part where, Xehanort shows up on Terra's path and you have like this menacing music playing and he's trying to convince him to be essentially a gray Jedi. He's like, what is this only using light? You have to balance the light and the darkness. And he's like explaining this to Terra, right? And Terra's like eating it hook, line and sinker. And so what I was saying in that scene was that uh, you know, you know, these games are made for younger audiences and sometimes subtlety flies over the head of younger audiences. So you have to be a little bit more on the nose at times. And I get that. But the, the sentiment about Terra is that he's a moron. Like everyone thinks he's just the stupidest guy ever. But it doesn't help that image when you have menacing music playing, a very evil looking dude with this gaunt face and like yellow eyes and the way he's delivering the lines is like very obviously deceitful. Yeah. And he's like, it's like, dude, why are you listening to anything this guy says well, as an audience? You while he's killing people. <laughs> like, uh. So it, it, they make it very obvious that he's the villain, right? Yeah. Even though what he's saying is that we need balance between light and darkness. What he, The content of what he says is not necessarily evil. It's the fact, it's all the other storytelling techniques around it, the way the character's designed, the way that they are using uh, slow pushes in on his face as he's making certain expressions, sure. the way that uh, he's literally surrounded by darkness all the time. Uh, like the, the fact that... Um, there's this menacing dark music playing alongside what he's saying that points to him being a bad guy. But like, this is all non, well, it, the way he looks and smirks and cackles, Tara should see that. But like Tara's wow. not hearing the diegetic music and he's not, you know what I mean? Right. So they could have helped that scene 
where where we sort of like don't know we're we're confused alongside Terra by just not making it so obvious that he's the bad guy. But I would like to see CJ elaborate on why he thinks he's not evil because to me being willing to do whatever it takes and ends justifies the means mentality right. uh which is called consequentialism that is evil in my opinion if you it doesn't matter if your goals are noble or if you have not even just a not evil goal in mind if you are willing to do whatever it takes hurt whoever you need to crawl over and stomp whoever you need to on the way up to that goal that makes you evil in my opinion you have to have ethics that guide how you get to where you're going to not be considered a villain or villainous or evil or whatever and so to me it's clear that he is here's the thought hitler generally genuinely thought that the world would be a better place without jewish people he really thought that still freaking evil. <laughs> <He's> still, <laughs> it, like not that it's a justification but it's like just because they think they're trying to do good doesn't mean they are like evil can still be an you know more or less um an there are very f- very few people very few evil people who believe they're evil right right exactly they think they think, think they're doing the right thing yeah they think that they're on a hero's journey that, that they're the center of and it's always interesting when you can actually like find some common ground between what the villain wants and what the hero wants. It's like they both want the same thing. They're both sort of have the same vision of what's best. But again, usually the villain is willing to do whatever it takes, which is I'm willing to harm to reach that goal. That's and awesome. the hero yeah. says, no, I we're not going to abandon our ethics in order to get the desired result especially when the ethics are like don't kill people right like xehanort he he freaking he kills kairi he doesn't just like like kill her in a maybe sort of more humane i don't know he's he's right in front of sora he's laughing at sora he slices her back open she's dead like and it, it's it's it, it takes a very particularly evil person to do that. That's all I'm going to say about you know whether or not he's truly evil or not. Yeah, and um, again, there's there's a spectrum to this too. I mean, sometimes you do have to do things that are uncomfortable. Sometimes you you really do just have to hurt. Someone's going to have to be hurt, but like you justify it with the greater good. That there are examples where that is. I would say widely considered the right choice. Um, yeah. So it's not to say that ends justify the means is not is, is always wrong. It's always the morally wrong choice. You have to compromise, but you should try not to or do the least amount of harm possible in order to achieve the goal, rather than oh well, I don't care how much harm I do as long as the goal is reached. It, it's it's a matter of anyways. I think people know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so we can move away from Xehanort a little bit. I, although, by just in case for anybody who's curious, that was, um, in my opinion, a little bit of a modernist method of storytelling that I don't appreciate very much when I mentioned the SJW thing before. Probably doesn't apply perfectly to this situation. But the fact that um, 
that this black and white story decided in the last two minutes to become a gray, like, oh, the bad guys are really good and, you know, that kind of let's, let's, you know, forgive them and redemption and all that kind of stuff um, is just like a pandering to a modern audience that has come to expect more grayness in um, the world, I guess. And, um, you know, an influence from people like that, I suppose. So that's, that was the other thing that I was kind of mentioning um, before that I feel like they kind of really, they tried to change what Kingdom Hearts has been for the past seven games and, but they didn't do it well. They just kind of threw it out there. They're just like, oh, it's like somebody was in a board meeting and was like, what if Xehanort's not actually evil and like he's redeemed and everyone forgives him. And like, you know, it's, you know, it's just not all that bad. And, and he becomes a good guy at the end. Like, uh, yeah, let's do that. And it was like a month before the game comes out and they're just like, all right, make the cutscene. Okay. He's good now. All right, good. Everyone will love this now. Yeah. This is so progressive of us. Like, okay. Here's my thought. Actually, I just had a thought. What? So the Xehanort that they show in this game, is he the young Xehanort from Dream Drop Distance or is he the old fogey? They show Xehanort? all of them. Um, but the one I'm speaking of specifically at the very end is the old guy. Okay, the old guy. Yeah, but well, you do go through all of the iterations of Xehanort this, uh, throughout the game. This may or may not apply to him then, but there is definitely a otaku-like uh, infatuation with anime characters and them being designed to be waifus and husbandos and stuff, right? That applies very much to Organization 13 members. Like, despite the fact that they were villains in the story, people have, like, their favorite organization member and they're very attached to these characters in a... um, What's the right word? Uh a specific kind of way (laughs) that lends to if you kill that character, people will be very upset by that. Right. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose. Or if you paint that character as being completely evil, people will be upset by it. Yeah. So there's almost a part of me that thinks that making sure no one dies and that no one is condemned or, 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 uh, pronounced, as being a truly truly evil person, it leaves the fanboys and girls free to justify their infatuation with whichever organization member they picked or fancied or maybe a combination of them at the same time. Whatever you guys are into, it's out of my wheelhouse. I'm just, you know, just saying. There's part of me that feels like... Uh, they couldn't actually give any real consequences to these characters for their actions because that would mean they would have to say this was a bad person. And if you and your fan, you know, stories re- revolving around you and <laughs> and Sykes getting together or whatever, <laughs> then, then, yeah, you would be very. Invested. Then they would be saying you're bad, you know, in in yeah. association with this person. Right. So we have to let everyone go scot-free and justify why they were bad and actually they're really good in order to make the fan boys and girls not feel bad for who they like. I don't know how true that is. That that just, I feel like that could have contributed somewhat to the way these things resolved. Yeah. Well, good thoughts. Um, I have two more things I want to move on to before um, we finish up here. So we talked about Xehanort. We've talked about all sorts of things, I suppose. Um, somebody mentioned, and here, let me just write them down real quick. Um, Roxas and Shion 
we're going to talk about. Okay. And okay, actually, let's just talk about that right now. What the fetch? Okay, so my thinking was before this game came out, man, the Roxas reveal and the Shion reveal are going to be so like good. They're just going to be so emotional. They're going to be so impactful. And even the nominee and like all these characters who were like, they deserve to be people. And it's not fair that they were created as not real Android robot prosthetic people, but they're real. They are, they developed a heart. So they are real people. They deserve to live their own life. Right. And I was so excited to have that point just hammered home. And all of the sudden, <laughs> Roxas and Shion, they just show up. They just are there. And first off, Shion's trying to kill you. It's another one of those weird reverse things where she's trying to kill you. And then Sora's like, puts his hand on her shoulder. The hand on shoulder get gesture is, is very important in Kingdom Hearts, I guess. It, it really is how you connect with people. But Sora just puts his hand on her shoulder. You don't have to do this. And then she's like, starts crying. And she does, okay. And now she's good. And now she's helping. And then she's on our side. And now she's fighting the other people. And that's stupid. No one flips that quickly. It's unbelievable. And she was trying to kill us. And I just don't like it. I don't like it at all. It happens with all of these Organization 13 members, all of them. They all have these weird reflective moments after we kill them where they're like, oh, maybe being bad wasn't the best thing after all. And then they float away into the into the whatever where they can come back. Well, to Kaysen, this is this is an important lesson. All you got to do is go up to the leaders of ISIS, put your hand on their shoulder, and just... <laughs> very emotionally <laughs> just express just, that we can be friends and we can all have share a heart and be great if we just were friends <laughs> and then they'll go you're right oh my gosh how did i not see it before i can't believe i've been deceived by the darkness there was one scene though that i did want to talk about because the Roxas Xion thing, unfortunately, after playing Kingdom Hearts 3, there is nothing to talk about with them. And I thought there would be tons to talk about. But it's like they're back and the movie, the game just kind of ends and they're back and great. And now what is there to talk about? So what the heck <laughs> happened with Sora? Sorry. I know. Sorry. I just saw go up to ISIS with sea salt ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> okay. As weird as that was, that shot, that last shot, with oh, Lee and Isa and Fion and Roxas and um and the friends from Twilight Town. What are their names? Anyways, the 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 kids from Kingdom Hearts 2 from the beginning, the girl and the boy and the other guy. Anyways, that was a fun shot seeing them all together eating all ice cream, right? That was fun. Um, Dennis, Dennis Rodman can pull that off actually. Okay. Uh, Kim Jong Un and Dennis Rodman sitting on sitting like on the ledge eating sea salt ice cream. I just see it. I see it in my head right now. Okay. Oh, it's funny. Um. So, Sora. I want to talk about Sora a little bit because there's nothing to talk about with Roxas and Shion and uh, Nominee. So, um, Sora's character. He's older now. And if you guys watched my video where I talked about, um, I talked about. Uh, why I love Kingdom Hearts. And a lot of it comes back to Sora, the character himself. And um, kind of the naivety of Sora and the the um, the altruism and the, the the way he lives his life is just very commendable and something that I really identified with. Now, his character doesn't change a ton 
through Kingdom Hearts 3, but the things that do change are he's a little more self-conscious um, and he's older. So when he says cheesy lines, he has to follow them up with a like, yeah, but Donald Duck, you kind of suck at fighting. Haha. And then they laugh. Donald's like, what? And he gets all mad. And like, he, he kind of has to do that in a way that they didn't do it as much before, but it was still there, I guess. Um, but he's a little more of a teenager now. He, he's more experienced. There's way less of that like pureness and naivety because he's getting older and there's nothing wrong with that. He's, he's growing as a character. Um, but I don't identify with him as much anymore. Kingdom Hearts 1 and 2, I was able to see such a, especially 1, I was able to see something, and it, it was a lot of it was due to how old Sora was. I was able to see something in him that was, you know, he, he was a giant while being not a giant, while being a kid. But he, he was imposing in his, in his goodness and his kindness. Um, and in Kingdom Hearts 3, you get a little bit of that. It's still there. He, he helps people. He's doing things for people. Um, but you, you don't, it's just not the same. And I don't know exactly like how to put it, but it's not the same. He, it's he not is realistic. A, he, he should have moved into his angsty emo phase by now. He's slowly getting there. <laughs> the angst for him is nothing. But there was that one moment where Sora gives up hope. And that was actually very powerful. All of these Kingdom Hearts. Oh, crap. We're losing you. I think we've lost him. This is the first time this has happened in a while. Yeah, no, I was going to say, it's not realistic that he's he's not listening to um, to uh, My Chemical Romance. And uh, <laughs> what? He, he's a teenager now. He's got to listen to My oh. Chemical Romance. He's got to get it. He's got to get a few more zippers on his clothes. Yeah, more black. One more black. black. Yeah, wear eyeliner. It's not realistic. The character arc doesn't follow mine anymore. <laughs> I can't relate. <laughs> can't relate. So um, the scene where Sora gives up hope was actually very, very good and very well done and very impactful, very emotional. Um, and I don't know exactly what happens after that because the story takes a hard left turn and I was not, see, I did not see that coming. I was not expecting it. Um, and yes, I don't like how he unlocks the worlds for no, or the, um, the power that he has with, with no like motivation or no reason or whatever. Um, and the way he gets to all the worlds and stuff, whatever, but that power, they're not that powerful scene where the heartless, there's a literal hurricane of heartless that's coming towards them and there's nothing they can do. And the despair he felt and the way that whole scene went was incredibly powerful. I actually really liked it. Um, and you wouldn't have had that in Kingdom Hearts 1 and 2. You needed this teenage Sora in order to have that moment um, because he's, he's, he's never given up hope before. And somehow he finally, and he explains it a little bit. He's like, man, every time I get close to Kyrie, she gets taken away from me again. And it's like, finally it happens again and he just can't handle it. Right. And he's getting older. His, his, his body's changing. He's going through adolescence. No, he's, he's just a different guy now. Right. And so that would not have existed were he still young Sora. So I appreciated that to some degree. Um, that was a very powerful scene. I really liked it. Um, and what did you guys think about at least that scene? If we can end on a positive, um, what did you guys think about the, the, the moment when Sora loses hope? Colin says it's because besides the ending, the game pretends Sora is supposed to have an arc with the power of waking, but that story has nothing to do with the Disney worlds that he randomly unlocks the power for no reason. 
Yeah, exactly. Well, my answer to that he doesn't need to do this stuff anymore, but he's still doing it because reasons. My my answer to that is like I, I wonder how anyone can be surprised by that because it hasn't been since Kingdom Hearts one that any of the Disney stuff had anything to do with the story, anyways. Yeah, like, exactly. They're just kind of it's, it's there because that's what the structure from a gameplay perspective of Kingdom Hearts was. They yeah. didn't change the game when they changed the story, the direction they were taking the story. It's it, they they made a game that unfortunately has to include going to Disney World. That's what the game is. But they they completely derailed the story into a place where it doesn't make any sense to do that anymore. And I think that's the fault of direction. I think that it's like, well, the game must be this because of our contractual obligation with Disney. But we're going to make the story go into a direction that no longer supports this structure. And that, to me, is at, at the top level of the creative management, uh, not having the two things work together anymore yeah. and being okay with just completely like railroading that and making the Disney worlds completely meaningless. Yeah, you know, that's actually a very good point um, because there's you should watch this, actually. There is a... There's two videos that you should watch. They are the most Tetsuya Nomura things I've ever seen in my life. Mm. One of them is, and I can't remember what it's called, but it's the intro to the Toy Story world. It is, um, it's, it's a video game that exists within the world of Toy Story that is this guy who, it's basically Final Fantasy Versus 13. And I, as soon as I saw it, I was like, this is versus 13. Holy cow. Oh, I have seen that. Um, yeah. Okay. What is, what do they call it? Uh, a weird Latin name. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember either. <laughs> I can't remember exactly. Breg or, um, Verum Rex. Verum Rex. Yes. Thank you. Verum Rex. You guys, you need to watch that and then watch the secret ending of kingdom hearts, which I don't know if you guys have even those of you view who beat it yet have seen it. There is, Okay, so they end Kingdom Hearts with um, maybe Sora isn't around anymore, right? Everyone's happy and chilling, and Sora kind of disappears, and he's not there. And so the impl implication is that Sora was able to free Kairi somehow and get her to be resurrected, but not himself. He's stuck in the darkness or something like that. He's somewhere. And that's pretty cool, um, I guess, from a storytelling perspective in terms of the intrigue of like what's going to happen next. But then they have the secret ending, the secret movie, which is the show. Sorry, he's alive. He's fine. He's he's doing it. He's good. Um, and he is in Tokyo. He is in America. Or he's in America. He's on Earth. He's on planet Earth. He is in the modern city of Japan, standing at the intersection where I've been there before. The intersection at Shibuya, the most populated uh, intersection, where like a million people cross that intersection every day, something like that. And I looked at uh, that real quickly. I, I was going to bring this up. Uh, Karasu just brought it up too. He's in the the world ends with you version of Shibuya. So oh, yeah, because for um, yeah, I think I think that's an indication he's gone into the world of the world ends with you. That is what I was getting at. They're going to be okay. doing more Square Enix because somebody had mentioned, and you talked about it a little bit too, that the Disney World connection of Kingdom Hearts is kind of a problem for the story that kingdom hearts wants to tell because it makes less and less sense to have these Disney worlds be a part of that story. Right. Um, so 
they are in this next Kingdom Hearts, it's a big hint that they're going to not have Disney Worlds in the next Kingdom Hearts, that it's going to focus more on Square Enix properties, right? Yeah. Oh, that's intriguing. But I actually got a little bit upset when I saw that because not it's super cool. Everything about it was awesome. I freaking loved it. Like they're going to be in Japan now and I freaking love Japan. So no problems there. But I found myself, I had this thought. I had this thought. Oh my gosh, I can't wait for the next Kingdom Hearts. Mm-hmm. Now, this is why. <laughs> exactly. It took me about two seconds before I was like, screw this screw that i am i am actually very upset at what just happened he manipulated me so i spent so much time looking forward to kingdom hearts 3 and it it, it has become very apparent to me that specifically tetsuya nomura but square enix is pretty good at getting people to be excited for something and building up anticipation they're good at that what they aren't as good at is delivering on the final product. Tetsuya Nomura is phenomenal at directing a cinematic, right? Which is what boggles my mind that the cutscenes are so poorly done. But the cinematics are incredible, right? And they get me excited. But the second I started feeling myself getting excited for this new Kingdom Hearts, I just had to look back. That was me two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, I was unbelievably excited to play Kingdom Hearts 3. And I played it, and what the heck was that? So the fact that I'm letting myself get that hype for something that, first off, won't come out for 20 years, and second off, um, it won't be what I'm seeing. Like, no matter what, the cinematics will be better than the actual experience playing the game. And I'm like, I just have to, like, drop everything for a little bit and be like, okay... I can't spend my whole life getting excited for the next thing, right? I was so excited to play Kingdom Hearts 3 for like seven years. And all of a sudden it showed up and I didn't have the time of my life. You know, okay, it wasn't as great. But literally the second I finished it and watched that secret ending, I started getting hyped up for the next thing. And it's like, wait, don't do that. I just, I can't do that. Like I, you need, at some point I need to learn my lesson that, it's probably not going to be what I expect it to be. And whatever I have in my mind about what that game is going to be, it's not going to meet that expectations. And there's no reason for me to get excited, first of all, but also upset when that game doesn't meet those expectations and when that game takes 20 years to be released. Because that's where I found myself with Kingdom Hearts 3. And the second it comes out, I'm already back into that cycle again of anticipation for something that won't come for a long time. No, I don't like that at all. And I was very upset. So, and they spoiled it. Sora's fine. He's alive. We just saw him. He's there. Like, why did they even leave us on this cliffhanger? And then two seconds later, after the credits, they show us where he is. Like, come how, on. Can, how can you spoil something 20 years before it comes out? That's crazy. <laughs> They're good at that somehow. They do it. Um, I was right. just going to say you that. I agree. I don't want to fall into hype culture, but that's where I've been the last six years waiting for Kingdom Hearts 3. So I will not, I pledge, I will not be that way for Kingdom Hearts 4. There is no hype here for Kingdom Hearts 4. I was going to say that here is the problem with Square Enix right now. Number one, their upper management has been, I mean, just abysmal for the last almost two decades. Basically, as soon as Yoichi Wada stepped in, the direction that he took the company and his philosophy for what they should be prioritizing and doing uh, completely just eradicated from the earth this, like, genius that they had 
at the end of the 90s, well, through the 90s and into the early no 2000s. It yeah. was just like they had a, a rock-solid foundation and philosophy at the upper management level that trickled down into everything they made. And while they didn't make perfect games, all of them like really just resonated with the audience just so well. It's just like people freaking loved what they were making. And when Yuichi Wada took over and uh, Hironobu Sakaguchi left, like things changed. The games just weren't the same anymore. And I think that so much of it was Sakaguchi's philosophy because those who played Lost Odyssey found it there where they weren't finding it in Final Fantasy XIII. You know what I mean? So now that Yoichi Wada is gone and they got new people in there, they still manage things really badly. I think it was mostly Wada. I think it was mostly during Wada's time that we mm-hmm. had big, big development trouble with Final Fantasy versus 13. Final Fantasy 13 went through, I mean, just a lot of big, big problems during its development. Uh, Type 0 as well. Final Fantasy 15 after they switched. 14. 14 uh, Final Fantasy 14 was a, a total debacle. Um, they have had big, big issues, and I think that it mostly comes from the upper level. But because of that, because of the upper level struggles, I feel like the most talented storytellers and directors that were in that company all fled. Tetsuya Takahashi, Yasumi Matsuno, Hironobu Sakaguchi, all gone. And and what you're left with is Kitase, who's more of a producer now. But the truth is, is that most of the Kitase-led projects I've had problems with. When Kitase is in conjunction with Sakaguchi, when they are together and Sakaguchi is sort of managing him, he does great. Uh, his yeah. work on Chrono Trigger as a director, his work on Final Fantasy VII and VI as a director, all phenomenal. I start to see problems with him and his directorial choices in Final Fantasy VIII and Final Fantasy X, where Sakaguchi was not in a creative role on those games. Uh, so uh, even him aside, where I still think he's not the best, you're left with Nomura, you're left with Hajime Tabata, you're left with all these people. Oh, Some people... gone. Yeah, he's gone now. Some people will point to, um, uh, and, and of course, people are bringing up Yoshi P, who did the uh, the uh, Final Fantasy fourteen Realm Reborn. Oh, that's yeah. a guy. That's a guy I would like to see him try his hand at a main single player, like a main series single player Final Fantasy game. I would like to see what he could do. But even Ito, right, who is still there, he's more of a systems guy. He makes battle systems. He he deals with mechanics and and like the, the gears of the game, not so much the storytelling side of it. And that's why Final Fantasy XII sort of fell apart with the story because Matsuno was directing that at the beginning and then it got handed off to somebody who had worked with him on previous projects, someone who had come with him from Quest. Not Quest. Is Quest? I can't remember. The guys that made uh, Tactics Ogre and Ogre Battle oh, and, and stuff like that. I don't know who made that kind of I think, I think it's Quest. Anyways, one of the guys who had been with him all through those years sort of took the reins and obviously wasn't as, um, as talented as a storyteller. So because of this upper management shift in philosophy, I feel like all the great directors left. And now we're left with guys who are all great concept people. Nomura... Concept. 
filmmaking too. They're younger. Nomura is a concept artist. He's a character designer, right? Great with concepts. I have yet to see a game he has helmed that delivered on an execution level a excellently told story. I don't think he's good at it. I don't mm-hmm. think that uh, the other people that have filled in um, for Final Fantasy have been good at it at all. Um, and some people might bring up uh, uh, Nier, right? The, I forget his name, the crazy guy who wears the big helmet, for, the director of Nier, Automaton Nier. Uh, I, um, I'm... Someone will, will put it in the... Yoko uh, Taro. Yoko Taro, right? Yeah. I feel similarly about him, though. While he's better than Nomura, no, no question about that, I still feel like he's better as a concept guy. And if there's something about execution, something about how you edit, how you write, how you deliver something, that just for me, it doesn't really resonate. It doesn't really work in the end. Mm-hmm. I feel a bit, a bit apathetic toward it, even though I, I can see like all these good ideas there. And so, yeah, like if, if, if you're a person who loved the storytelling of 1990s Squaresoft, and you loved the Final Fantasy trilogy on the PlayStation, even if you loved Final Fantasy X, where Sakaguchi was still there, if you loved Vagrant Story, if you loved Final Fantasy Tactics, you know, those were all uh, Matsuno projects. If you loved Xenogears, you know, Tetsu Takashi, these people aren't there anymore. And the people who have risen up to fill their place are not storytellers. I'm sorry, they're just not. They're concept artists, their battle system directors, their even event event planners and event directors like Katase was, but they still aren't like really strong proven storytellers. And this to me is their biggest issue and it's why I have little to to no hope that anything will change in terms of how good the stories can be in Square Enix games until they address that now again the saving grace here maybe potentially is the final fantasy 14 realm reborn director who seems to have a solid head on his shoulders and know what he's doing if he was given the reins on final fantasy 16 i would actually be excited i am not excited for final fantasy 7 remake because it is tetsuya nomura so i don't know why i got on this tangent but i just wanted to let you know that it's a, the hype, just, there's an issue with Square Enix in general, not just, you know. Yes. Or, the hype uh, for these projects comes from visual excitement. They yep. look really amazing. The concepts, the designs are all immaculate, as, as good as anything in the industry. Beautiful. It looks yeah. incredible. And that's basically where the substance of these things ends. It yeah. is all Well, you flash. know what? That's actually, that's a culture problem. Because you know how these games and these concepts get greenlit, right? The, the directors and the artists and the concept people get together. They put together a pitch for the executives, and then they show the executives that pitch. So the executives are watching these insanely well-rendered, you know, like cinematics, basically, the stuff that Nomura excels at, watching those things and being like, that's it, green light, You're the, that's the game we're going to make. But the executives themselves aren't asking the questions of where's the substance. It's all flash and no substance. And and so, you know, a lot of it, like, you know, there's a lot of blame at the lower parts, but it's a company culture problem because that's the kind of stuff that the board of Square Enix is approving. 
and that's what they are looking for. And so it's a problem with the company just at the at almost all levels. It's like the culture of the company because you want your project to get greenlit. Well, how do you get it greenlit? Well, you make a flashy cinematic and you don't worry about the story. So it is a company problem. It is not just, um, you know, the the directors or whatever team or anything. Yeah. Um, okay, I want to address a couple things here. Lego Dog says Octopath, Bravely Default. These are steps in the right direction. Now, you have to keep in mind, Octopath was developed by Acquire, not by Square Enix. Square Enix Yeah, Square it. Enix just owns their second party, right? Yeah, the second party. Square Enix owns yeah. like 60% of their company. Now, now, after the success of that game, I think they've been made like an official division at Square. But it was oh, made good. by Acquire, which is like a second party developer. Bravely yeah. Default, similarly, was developed by Silicon Studio. They mm-hmm. are not a second party to Square Enix, but Bravely Default was published and is owned by Square Enix, but it was developed it by party. Silicon Studio. Mm-hmm. These Also, neither of those games have great storytelling. They get a lot of the other things right in terms of like the gameplay style that we've been wanting to see in these RPGs, but I think both of them really struggle with storytelling. And the same is true of that other studio uh, that made um, uh, oh, I Am the Setsuna. Lost Sphere. Yeah, and yeah. Lost Sphere. Yeah. Uh, which is also basically a division. RPG of, Factory. Of, yeah. Yeah, RPG Factory. They, they have the same problem. None of these games have great storytelling on the level that we saw in. 90s era Squaresoft. Um, Anvil of Doom says, so Mike, what, what you're saying is I'll be looking forward to your review of Outer Worlds, not your review of Final Fantasy VII Remake. I'm actually not <laughs> sure what Outer Worlds is, but... Um, sure, we'll, we'll look into it. I'll look into that. <laughs> There's something, a few people have asked me to comment on the music from Kingdom Hearts 3. The music is wonderful, but I actually don't want to focus on that at all because it wasn't that different in fact there were certain scores that is the exact same song from the previous games like not even rearranged it is the same song and there isn't uh, much variance anymore in fact yoko shimamura was probably credited for the music because she wrote the original scores but they just reused the same stuff over and over there's very little new music so Mm. just wanted to bring that up Colin asks, Mike, has it been confirmed how much involvement Nomura had with the story of the OG FF7? I've heard conflicting reports. Um, uh. no, no one can say for sure, but here's, I mean, we know this is true of both Final Fantasy VI and Final Fantasy VII. Both of those games' scenarios, there's a difference between story and scenario, okay? Yeah. The scenarios of the story were collaborated on, meaning that there were many people who were working on specific scenarios. Uh, in Final Fantasy VI, the way they handled it was that they had certain people creating the scenarios for a number of characters. I believe Sakaguchi conceived uh, Terra and, oh, what was the other? I don't think it was Celeste, but maybe Locke? Maybe something oh, like yeah. that. But then Kitase had a couple of the other characters, and even Nomura uh, did the scenarios for um, Shadow and Setzer, I think it was. So they they collaborated on the team to sort of like conceptually create the ideas and the behind the characters' stories. And they had a similar process on Final Fantasy VII. 
But again, that's not the problem I have with Nomura. His con- his concepts are all phenomenal. He's I think, brilliant conceptually. I think the, the the concept of Final Fantasy versus thirteen, from what we know of it, that that some of the parts that were removed for the eventual fifteen, with Insomnia being a city that worshipped like death, essentially like the goddess of death. And uh, like some of the the real gray area they were going with Noctis being partially like the villain of the story. There were concepts in Versus 13 that to me made it have the promise of being the best Final Fantasy story ever told. I was hopeful that that it was going to surpass Final Fantasy 7 in my mind based on what we knew conceptually about the story. It has nothing to do with how good they are at coming up with great ideas and has everything to do with how they edit scenes, write the dialogue, pace the story, when they decide to use uh, humor or fan service, um, how they resolve conflicts in the end, the plot holes, not thinking through things you know, extremely well. There's so many other aspects that, that are key for a good storyteller to develop that is so evident in people like Sakaguchi and in Matsuno that are not evident in Nomura at all. Like he mm. just doesn't, he, do, he doesn't, he has not developed the skill. That's not to say he's not a great artist. He's developed other skills that Matsuno doesn't have. I, I'm willing to bet Matsuno cannot draw characters as well as uh, yeah. Tetsuya Nomura can. Uh, so they have, they're in different wheelhouses, but Nomura is trying to take over a part of the process that he's not really good at Mm. and trying to lead that. And, and that to me is, is the problem with the company is that they're not putting the right people in the right place. Right. Well, Nomura strikes me as somebody who would, uh, give a very good pitch in a boardroom. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. And would show, and I think that's why he rose through the ranks in the company so fast. Just everything he put forward was conceptually just, you know, so incredible. Well, Lego Dog, Nomura could still be the director of the game, but just, and again, this is speculation on my part. This is only coming from the fact that every Nomura directed game that I've played, I felt like the storytelling was very lackluster. But. Uh, this was brought up in one of my Kingdom Hearts streams, actually. I think he only actually wrote Kingdom Hearts 358 over two days. Aside from that, they had a different mm. person writing the story. So well, 358 this, over two is pretty good. <laughs> this is a general sentiment I'm giving. It's yeah. not like any direct criticism of his process because, of course, we don't know exactly no. what that process is. I, I'm speculating that he, as the director, is making certain choices about the storytelling. But he's not writing the stories for the most part. Um, and, and of course, being the director, there's a lot of management going on there in terms of making sure yeah. all the teams are hitting deadlines and just like PR level stuff that is part of the daily job that wouldn't even leave him available to like sit down and, and, and write the story out and like block it. So they have other people there, but he's in charge of putting those people in place and also of correcting them if they're making mistakes. Right. 
it ultimately that still falls on him. And the fact that he's not seeing these problems and correcting them is what leads me to believe he doesn't really understand good storytelling. Whereas other directors from the past who were managing all of that same stuff were obviously giving the right direction to correct things as they came up and forming a final product where the story felt very well told. So, anyways. All right, guys. Let's move on. Unless you're not done with Kingdom Hearts. Nope. I'm just, I'm, I'm ready to move on. I think we've gotten, uh, we've got a good uh, response here. And uh, yeah. we'll see what I decide to do with this information. <laughs> um, let's move over to our community stories. And go ahead and uh, bring this up. This was sent to me on Facebook, this game called Beckoned. And nice. it really, uh, actually, let me send this to you, Kason. Two, two things that you can see here. Uh, one is the website, and then the other is a little video uh, showing off some gameplay. So there's the website for the game. And here is the link to the video. All right. So there you go. So you can see those. Um, this, uh, this really stuck out to me, though. I, I really loved the look and feel that this game is giving off. Uh, it's called Beckoned. It's in development. And he was, uh, this was sent to me by, uh, hold on. Let me get the name real quick. So I, I, I sometimes, or once or twice, the, I've given the name. The name is Thevenot. T-H-E-V-E-N-O-T. Jeremy Thevenot or Thevenot? Yes, Jeremy Thevenot or Thevenot. I'm not sure how to pronounce the last name, but Jeremy is the one who sent this to me on Facebook. So, um. He is one of the developers working on the game. I love the art style. I love it. And I especially love, I mean, they've done a lot of work here on the world building, it looks like. Um, it just looks really, really cool to me. Um, I'll show a couple screenshots here. Yeah, it does look really cool. Um, Holy cow. That's this unique screenshot, art, too. This screenshot I have up right now. You know, we've talked about how um, it would be really cool if a modern developer would go back to designing a game like the PS1 Final Fantasy games with pre-rendered backgrounds, right? Yeah. So, uh, but with So they're 2D backgrounds that the 3D characters run on. Mm. This, in some ways, actually reminds me of more of a modern take on, like, the Xenogears way of doing it, at least in this screenshot. This looks like it's... It could be a pre-rendered image, but it also looks like it's a 3D environment with uh, 2D characters. So like cartoonized characters sort of running around on it. It's what it sort of looks like to me here. It could be um, that, you know, uh, different areas are designed differently because I look at this one and it's, it's not quite like that. Like this looks, this screenshot looks like the, the environment is more of... Um, like a hand painted 2D environment that they're in. Yeah. But the the art in general is what I'm getting at. The art is phenomenal. I'm very it strikes me in a big way looking at this. Um now to see the game in motion, I'm gonna show this video that he sent me um uh just a little while ago. Um uh, I am gonna have the sound on, so we're gonna be quiet for a bit as we play this. One second, let me see if I can... Is this an HD? It says it's an HD. 
it's it's it looks a little low res but hopefully you can still get the idea oh man it's not as clear as it should be this is why i was asking jeremy oh there we go there we go it just cleared up it's actually in hd now Okay, it's about two minutes long, so I'll just let it play and let you guys watch it for a bit. Okay. But I'm a, I'm a big fan of, like, the look and feel of the game. It actually evokes a little bit of a Obsidian-style RPG, like the, the bird's-eye isometric view that kind of, like, zooms in as you're, like, talking to characters. And the way, like, the, the, the chat, like, the chat boxes are designed feels a little bit like that to me. Even like the design of the areas. I wonder if you'll get into a, a battle here in a second. Just kind of just talking to people here. These characters, obviously, that are walking around, I don't know if they're designed to be like those colors, or if they just haven't like completed the character art for them. These are just like stand-ins for the time being. Jeremy did say he would be here on the stream, so if he's watching, uh, if he could answer questions in the chat, that'd be nice. You there? Let's see if it gets into a battle here. No, it looks like it's about to end. So he just showed. Yeah, it basically never gets into a battle, but you know, um, it looks cool. I love the just the the art looks really nice. Uh, let's see if Jeremy's here. I haven't looked at the chat here in a second. Ugh. there it is. Um. Anyways, uh, I will provide links to you guys now. To the website beckoned and uh, you can look into this a little bit more I think it looks really cool I'm very intrigued by it there's the mm -hmm. link now it's in the chat and of course this will be in the description as well <laughs> so take a look at the website uh, if you guys like what they're doing you know show some support looks awesome thank you Jeremy for sharing that um, the last uh, thing I want to share today, this one comes from Heon on Discord. He's done a, a jazzy sort of um, remix of Final Fantasy VII's main theme. And he says that he's done it for the livestream.net for oh, a, cool. a podcast yeah. that they're doing. So I'll play this for a minute or two and uh, you guys can listen to it. But uh, you can find it here on Discord. If you join our Discord, uh, we have uh, different... Um, Topics here like gaming discussion, film discussion, literature discussion. Down in under the State of the Arc podcast, we have our podcast chat, this week's stories where you guys can share um, news topics that happen during the week that you'd like us to talk about. And then community stories is where you can share your work with us 
and uh, that's where he's posted this. So you can come listen to the whole thing there if you'd like. I'm playing it now. the idea um again go and check out the full song on discord give a uh, he on some some feedback and that uh that brings us to the end of our podcast everybody thank thanks you very for much watching. for watching thanks for watching if you love kingdom Hearts 3 thanks for not being too upset um i'll be doing a lot of research trying to find out uh trying to come to terms with everything and not be so upset. <laughs> um, yeah. Leave any uh, counterpoints that you have in the yes, comments. Yes, please do. Please do. I on YouTube and, and elsewhere. Um, and, uh, of course, we would love to hear all of your perspective. Uh, as it stands at the moment, I, I predictably probably wouldn't be the biggest fan if I had played the game. <laughs> but, I have it. Uh, you can borrow my copy. Case and was a fan and is a bit disappointed so yeah anyways we will see you guys again soon thank you for your support have a great rest of your sunday and weekend and we'll see you next week peace out peace